0: May the Spirit of God have complete control of what is said and what is heard, and even work in our responses so that we might will to do what is good and pleasing in your sight. Lord, we understand that it is all the work of grace that takes us to heaven, and yet you have ordained that that work of grace is to be connected to our souls by something called faith. Help us to understand what it is and how to develop it in our lives, how to grow in faith. For the glory of our blessed Savior, for the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let me invite you to the... Book of Hebrews chapter 11, our summer series is on the heroes of the faith and uh, the subject is prevalent in this particular chapter, men and women who by faith accomplished great things for God and who by faith endured terrible times for God, the heroes of the faith. When we open Hebrews 11, we are introduced in verse 1 with the meaning of faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There is a clarity about faith, to see the invisible, and a confidence about faith, to believe uh, almost the unknowable. But we put our trust not in a leap of faith into the dark, but in a sovereign God who's created all things. And even though we don't know what's going to happen, we know the one in whom we are trusting. So faith is secured in the object, in the person, the creator, the almighty God of heaven and earth. Verse 2 says, this is what the ancients were commended for, applauded, celebrated for, honored, extolled, acclaimed. And that word... Commended is found four times in this one chapter. Verse 2, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 39. So we trust that our lives will also be commended and lauded and recognized as people who walk by faith and not by sight. We read in verse 3, by faith we understand. So faith gives us wonderful understanding. This shows us the importance of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, verse 6 says. Without faith, it's impossible to understand God and to understand as, things as they really are. You cannot eliminate faith and go purely by the way of humor, human observation and facts and determine things as they really are because things are more than material and visible. They are spiritual and invisible And only faith can deal in that realm. So the Bible tells us what faith is. It tells us why people are commended. And it tells us the importance of faith. We understand that God's command, God's word, brought all things into existence. Coming out of the invisible into the visible. Last week we looked at the life of Enoch. So we're actually going backwards now to the very first person mentioned. And this is verse 4. By faith, Abel. Abel by faith offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Now some of you perhaps have been attending church for a short period of time and you say, who in the world are Cain and Abel? Well, we'll try to answer that question today in just a moment. But Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Abel was commended. There's that word again. He was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he has died. His life message continues on. So this guy, Abel, is quite an amazing individual, an example of faith. Did you notice in verse 4, three times it says, by faith, by faith, by faith. What do you think the secret of his life was? <laughs> I would guess it was faith. Faith in the sovereign God who spoke and things came into being. But to really understand Abel, we've got to get the back story, don't we? don't we? We've got to get his history. And for that, we need to turn back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis and chapter 4. We looked at Enoch last week in Genesis 5, but now Genesis chapter 4. And again, to refresh your memory, in chapter 3, well, chapter 1 and 2 is the creation of all things, that God said, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he said, when he saw a man alone, it's not good. I I kind of think the phrase went something like this, man alone, that's not good. He's not good alone. He doesn't do well on his own. He needs help. And so God created woman, and we have this wonderful institution, which sounds like a bad word. I don't mean it in a pejorative sense. We have this wonderful union that God has envisioned and created, one of the greatest gifts for all mankind. But man and woman fell in Genesis chapter 3. They disobeyed the command of God, and there was a curse. Curse placed upon the ground. Man and women, Men and women died from that moment. And cursed, of course, was the serpent who betrayed them. So we come to chapter 4. And Adam, the first man, lay with his wife Eve, the first woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to the first child who was ever born, Cain. The name Cain literally means acquired. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth, I have begotten, I have acquired or attained a child. Now God told them to do this in in Genesis chapter 1. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And they were obeying the command of God. This is one of the richest blessings that God has for parents. So here's the first father's day and the first father and the first child born. It's the brother of Abel, and his name is Cain, which means attained. With the help of God, it says. Did you notice that? Eve said, I have, with the help of the Lord, brought forth a man. It is a a very unique partnership, this creation of a child. It is the work of God and the work of man. It is this wonderful union of divine. And human together and that's why we need to understand that it is only God who gives life he needs to be honored when life is given and we shouldn't take life into our own hands having children is not the only purpose for marriage there are many marriages that are great marriages that have not been blessed with children But it is true that when children come into a union of man and woman as husband and wife, it is a huge blessing. It is a gift from God, and they should be welcomed with joy. Both the Jewish people of the Old Testament and Christians in the first century during the New Testament would be appalled at our attitude toward abortion and the statistics that are true today of lives being so callously and casually taken and lost so this is a period of optimism they're following god's command they're receiving god's rich blessing i've attained a child from the lord and eve i'm sure is really happy and that first father's day was a great one but then verse 2 says later she gave birth to his brother abel so the cain and abel we were talking about from hebrews 11 are the first brothers. Abel's name means breath. In fact, it's the identical Hebrew word that is used throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, translated vanity. Now, was there something that had already taken place that disappointed the first couple with their child so as to name their child Vanity? I think more it's the idea that there is this understanding of death that has now come upon the human race, and the idea of breath or vapor emphasizes the fact that this life is going to be short. Cain's name reminds us that life comes from God. Abel's name reminds us that life is short. And so we need to make sure we live it for God every moment of death of every day that God has given us breath. Now the middle of verse 2 talks about their occupations. Abel kept the flocks, so he was a shepherd. And Cain worked the soil, so he was a farmer, much like his father was. And these occupations, by the way, uh, are noble and good. There is nothing in the scriptures here that suggests that either one is subservient to the other. And work is not a curse. Work was given to man before the fall in Genesis chapter 2. And Adam taught his sons to work. And it's a noble thing to do. It's a blessing from God. But here's a shocker. The brothers fought with one another. Because of sin, there was sibling rivalry. I remember when I became a Christian and and newly on, I read in the book of Proverbs these words, a brother is born for adversity. And I said, that's for sure. I've got a brother and all we do is fight. I really thought that's what it meant. Uh, God gave us brothers so we'd have someone to fight with. And then I realized a brother is born for adversity. What it means is when hard times come, there's one, someone close to you to help and support. But I'm sure many of us would twist that verse and say it must be true. Unfortunately, it's common that there are dysfunctional families all over the world today because of the sin of chapter three. And families don't get along. And families fight. So Adam taught his sons to work, and he had to play referee at times, but he also taught his sons to worship. He gave them the gift of a sinful nature, but he also gave them the gift of a forgiving God. And we don't see exactly in the scriptures where this teaching is. All we see is that uh, in verse 3, in the course of time, which is a a generic phrase, we don't know how long. But as time went on, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to Jehovah, the Lord. It's in all capitals, the Creator. How did he know to do that? Adam taught him. How did Adam know? God taught him. Because all revelation about God and our duties to him must come from God. Now, is it possible when Adam and Eve sinned and God slayed an animal to give them coats of skin to cover their nakedness, could it be that at that time God taught them about sacrifice, taught them how without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin? And would Adam have passed this truth along to his boys? We're not sure exactly what was said, but we're sure something was said because they sense their duty and their privilege to come into the presence of God and to give some kind of offering. So the one who created them and the one who employed them is the one who desires to have communion with them. And by the way, that has not changed. Genesis chapter 4 is a powerful story because it's true. And it's a powerful story because it's true of you and it's true of me. Sin has entered into the world and we often fight with God and fight with one another and run from God, but he pursues in grace and longs to forgive our sin. So Cain brought some fruits of the soil, which means he brought what he had, he brought what he knew, he brought what he worked with and Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now we re- remember, we read from Hebrews 11 that Abel's offering was better than Cain's, right? It was more excellent. And so right away, we ask the question, why? We read in verse 4 that God looked with favor on Abel's offering, But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. There was no respect. And so Cain was very, very angry, and his face was downcast. By the way, Hebrews 11 implies God spoke to them and let them know that one was favorable and one was not. So the debate goes on, was that the offering that was offered, in other words, was Cain told to bring an animal offering with the shedding of blood, and he didn't do it. And that's why God didn't accept the offering. I don't think that's true. Because later on, we're going to see that the grain offerings are accepted, the fruits of the field are actually commanded. So I don't think that that is the bottom line I I think it's very possible when you read in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that Cain was bringing an acceptable offering. They both brought their offerings to the Lord. That was good. But did you notice there is a hint in Genesis 4 that Abel brought the first fruits and the fat of his flock. Those are both words with, positive connotations in that day. Fat is good when it comes to offerings, uh, when it comes to lambs. And firstborn is best. So it could be that the scripture is telling us that Cain just brought something that was at hand, that wasn't much of a sacrifice. That could be part of it. And Abel brought the best of his flock. But it goes deeper than that. I think it wasn't so much the offering itself, it was the spirit in which the offering was produced. That is, the decisive fact that makes the offering favorable is something we've already read about, and it's the secret to Abel's life. It's a thing called faith. You were supposed to say faith. That's okay. I think you got it. Faith. The secret, right? By faith, Abel offered an offering. It wasn't so much the offering itself. It was the heart behind it. Cain's offering was not rejected because it was grain. It was rejected because of his heart. And the heart of Abel was a godly heart. Not a perfect heart. A faithful heart. By the way, remember that Adam gave to his two boys the same sinful nature. It wasn't that one was better than the other. And even faith is not a work. It's merely an expression of trust, which is a gift from God. So the the grace of God is behind all of this. But one offering was favorable and one was unfavorable. Let me simply tell you this that there are a lot of people who attend church on Sunday mornings bringing offerings that are rejected. I came. I dressed up. I sang the songs. I bowed my head and pretended I was praying. I did all of that. I put some money in the offering. It was hard for me to let go of that one dollar bill. But I did. And not acceptable? Yeah, you can do everything that God tells you to do, but do it in the wrong way, and the offering falls flat. Michael read early in our service the importance that if we're going to worship God, we must worship him in spirit and in integrity or truth. The results are shocking. Cain was... Angry, hostile toward God, the God he could not kill. And jealous toward his brother, the brother he could kill. Anger in the heart is the moral equivalent of murder with the hands, Jesus said, right? Matthew chapter 5. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you've got to love others who are made in my image in God's image, because you cannot love God whom you have not seen and hate your brother whom you have seen. The anger of Cain boils up to the surface revealing what was deep in his heart. Why are you angry, verse six? God pursues. The results are rather amazing. There is murder and there is mercy. the Lord immediately begins to pursue Cain in mercy. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, that is if you obey me, if you have faith, won't you be accepted? The just shall live by faith. We're not accepted by our good deeds. We're accepted by honest faith and trust in our heart. Will you not be lifted up? Will you not be accepted, verse seven? But if you do what is right, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door like an animal waiting to attack you or a robber who's waiting for your return. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Wow, what a commentary on the human race And that has continued from that day on. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to destroy you, but you've got to master it. You've got to say no. You've got to yield to the one who's conquered sin, the one who's paid the penalty for your sin. Your only victory is faith in Christ. This is how we overcome the world. It's faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Substitute and our sovereign. So the Bible tells us that God went after Cain. Cain went after his brother. He said to his brother, verse 8, hey, let's go out to the field. (laughs) And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, and here's the first murder recorded in the human race. Brother against brother. And so Cain goes on the run, and God pursues him. Where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper, he says. The Lord says in verse 10, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. He personifies sin as someone who's crouching to attack you and destroy you. He now personifies the blood of the innocent as crying out from the ground. And I tell you, the blood of the innocent all over our land, from those who've been aborted to those who have been slain unjustly, cries out for justice. God is a holy God, and he's a God of justice, and he will write the scales someday. It may not be in our time, but it will be the day, and there will be vindication. And Abel's bu- blood is crying out from the ground. So Cain receives a curse, a punishment. He says, my punishment is more than I can bear. And I think I would have to say, I mean, if I were God, I would probably say to him, tough, live with it. I could care less about you. Look what you did to my creation. You're not half who your brother is and you took his life. But God didn't say that. The Lord said, verse 15, uh, I will put a, or verse, um, yeah, verse 15. The Lord says, I'll put a mark on you, Cain, so no one who finds you will kill you. We, We often talk about the mark of Cain as being a horrible thing. No, the mark of Cain is a mark of mercy. And God becomes his goel, the Hebrew word for protectorate. God says, I will protect you. Amazing, here's murder. And instead, there's the offer of mercy. Oh, there's justice and it's coming. And Cain rejects the mercy. So in the New Testament, we have Jude 11 talking about the way of Cain, which is self-willed. Oh, the way of unbelief that defies God and defiles man. That's the way of Cain. We're warned in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12, don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Jealousy. Envy. And so the Bible tells us that God pursues in mercy but Cain still rejects. But getting back to the question, okay, what about the heart then? What about the heart of Abel? What makes his sacrifice so much better? And we go from his history to his heart attitude, his spirit, the motive behind the story. And Hebrews 11, one says, the secret is faith. Oh, you're getting better. Faith. By faith, verse 4. By faith, verse 4. By faith. He offered a sacrifice. In other words, God said, I want you to bring a sacrifice. And maybe he said, here are your options. It could be of the earth, grain, uh, or it could be the animal slain, which shows uh, of life being given. We're not sure what it was there. Someone said God didn't tell them how to offer sacrifice just that they were supposed to. And when they came to God, they offered the sacrifice. And then God told them whether it was good or not. And he said to Abel, this is good. And he said to Cain, yours isn't good. And the response was Abel responded with faith. If God had told Abel, your sacrifice is not good, he would have said, okay, tell me what is good, I'll do it. But Cain responded with anger. The point is, the heart of Abel was a heart of faith. It was also a heart of righteousness, according to Matthew 23, verse 35. We're told, and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel, the first one who was murdered, to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, who apparently was uh, murdered and killed at a recent time when this was Mentioned in Matthew by Christ. The blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world. From the blood of Abel, it says in Luke 11. So Matthew 23 says he was righteous. That's his heart. A righteous heart wants to obey God. But then there's something that Hebrews 11 says that that is fascinating to me. And it's a verse we often quote out of context. He being dead, yet speaketh. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that at a funeral? It's said quite often. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, it's the last part of verse 4. The old King James has that beautiful poetic expression, he being dead, yet speaketh. The NIV says, by faith, he still speaks, even though he's dead. He's gone, but his life message continues. That's what Luke says about Abel's blood. It cries from the ground. He's a prophet. And his blood still speaks today and cries out for justice. But there is a fascinating verse. In Hebrews 12, and I want you to turn to it just for a moment, Hebrews 12, and it's the verse 25, because the scripture tells us that Jesus' blood is connected with Abel's blood. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. By the way, that's exactly what Cain did. He refused the message that God had given to him. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from heaven and from God, the one who warns. Now just prior to that warning, verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood sprinkled, that is the blood of Christ sprinkled, that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. So Abel's sacrifice is better than Cain's, but Christ's sacrifice is better than Abel's. And the blood that was shed by Abel is merely the blood of an animal, but the blood shed by Christ is the blood of God, the life of God given for sin. Abel's blood was offended blood and cried out for justice and so does the blood of Christ because he was offended and treated unjustly. But the blood of Christ cries out for more. It cries out for mercy. And so what we see in the death of Christ is murder and get this, mercy. Which is exactly what we saw in Genesis chapter 4. That's why the blood of Christ is so amazing. He was murdered, yet he cries out for mercy. The blood of Jesus Christ is the blood that saves. The life of Christ given. See, God's heart is not for your death. God's heart is all about mercy. And that's what Abel teaches us. He being dead yet speaketh. That was true of Abel. It is true of Abel. It's true of every righteous person who lives whose life impact continues on even though they're gone. And it is true of Jesus Christ who died but is alive and continues to speak. And he cries out for mercy. Well, if you're not a Christian, I would urge you to trust Christ because I want you to see Jesus as one who loves your soul and is pursuing you to save you, not condemn you. Your sin condemns you. God doesn't have to do that. You're already condemned. He's coming to rescue you and save you. And that's why Jesus shed his blood and he comes to give you life that never ends. And if you're a Christian, let me encourage you to make sure that every offering you present to God is offered in faith. You do it God's way, and you do it with the right heart. And then that worship is acceptable worship. Sing every song with all your heart. Give every gift, even if it is only a dollar. That's huge if that's, a sacrificial gift coming from an honest heart. I remember some of the trustees telling me the most precious gifts they get in the offering years ago was it was coming from a woman who used to wrap up in I think it was a napkin or maybe even a tissue paper, a bunch of change that rarely totaled over a dollar. But they knew it was coming from the same woman given from the same in the same way. And they said that to them was perhaps the most precious gift of all. The just shall live by. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Abel speaks to us today about a righteous life being an obedient life. A godly life is one that obeys and by faith follows. And a godly life will have an impact that continues on even when we are gone. And that the godly life of Abel speaks to us of the precious life of Christ that he freely gave so we would live forevermore. Oh Lord, if there's someone here today who's never trusted Christ, may they do so today. And for all of us who claim the name of Christ, may we walk by faith. And not by sight, and worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By the way,